Hey, Liam. Hey, Eric. How are you doing today? I'm okay. Yeah? Pretty good. Yeah, now, my heels Liam, are a little bloody. You what? My heels are a little bloody. Huh. Why? Oh, just walking a lot without socks. That sounds smart. Liam, <laughs> I have a question for you. Yeah, lay it on me. If a bunch of guys on the other side of the street from you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. were hitting each other and, like, a couple of them might be dead... And, like, the other one's getting pushed away and just generally seemed to be a rough time. W would you go and join in? Hell no. I live in New York. What are you fucking talking about? And that's where the theme song's going to come in. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> about incompetence on a grand scale. This this is a storytelling podcast about times in history when not just one person but many when people made a couldn't big get time erections. Movie. Oh. Ah, shoot. What did I What did I say? <laughs> that's that's my impotence podcast. <laughs> With its sister podcast and incontinence podcast. Yeah. They're both very gross. And you're going to have a ro a rotating guest every episode? I am going to have a rotating guest every episode. This time, his name is Liam. Hi. Eric and I do a podcast together called the Shmanime Hour. That's uh, <laughs> not what it's called. It's the Shmanime <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> All right. I want to hear a story about incompetence on a grand scale. Yeah. Well, you're in luck. Let me tell yeah? you. Yeah. Oh, white. So Fucking three cherries for this guy. <laughs> so... The thing about this story is that it kind of got away from me, which is setting a great <laughs> tone for this podcast. It's the first episode. I know. <laughs> Incredible. I was writing the notes and just went, wow, this is not going to be followable by any of them. Anybody, I'll do I mean. my best. So this story starts, like a lot of stories, with Napoleon. Okay, I was hoping you'd say once upon a time. So I think I think a misconception in the United States is that Napoleon wasn't actually that important. Really? I think a lot of um, Americans kind of view Napoleon as just a short joke, a guy who started a bunch of wars and then lost. You know, I don't think a uh, lot of Americans really think of him as a catalyst for a chain of like hugely important historical events. You know what? My dad's English, so I think that I might be a, yeah. a special case. That must be it. Europeans, like, they know that, you know, Napoleon was a big deal. But also, Europeans don't think of the American War of Independence as being that important, in my experience. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. Like, they, they, they go like, oh, the French War of Independence. That's what you're thinking of. That's the big one. <laughs> so, Napole when Napoleon did what he did maybe we'll talk about him in a future podcast maybe not one of the what there were a bunch of different nations that kind of went like hey france isn't really a monarchy anymore maybe and then they rebelled against their uh monarchical overlords mm -hmm. one of these cases was mexico who in early 18th century had their war of independence that lasted only 10 years <laughs> and cakewalk Essentially, what you have to understand about it is that it wasn't like the American War for Independence. It wasn't 
there wasn't like one singular body of people just rebelling against one singular body of people. The Mexican, mm-hmm. the rebels in Mexico were not well organized, and there were a lot of different kind of consecutive uprisings that really constituted the war for independence. Sort of a uh, 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 a wave of rebellion after rebellion. Yeah, and then eventually kind of the different rebellions coalesced into one that managed to be like the rebellion. <laughs> and this is going to set such a tone for the rest of the century, let me tell you. Oh boy. Um, because one of the main heroes of the revolution was Vicente Guerrero, whose last name literally means warrior. Man, talk about your parents putting their dreams on you. Yeah, right? Well, his last name meant warrior, not his first name. Well, uh, still, I mean, but still, like... <laughs> but still! Regardless, you're not gonna grow up to be, like, a S- farmer. Son, I was a farmer. You have to be the thing your name says you are. We're the laughingstock of this <laughs> barrio. Yeah. That's not it. Nope, Way nope. Well? Fuck. No, just, 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 just quit while you're ahead. Quit while I'm very behind. Yeah, quit while you're only moderately behind. (laughs) And in the last couple years of the revolution, the last couple years of the War of Independence, he was joined by a man named Agustin de Turbide. And Sure. We're doing a pretty glossed over kind of overview of these events. I'm not going to go down to the nitty gritty details because this would be a six hour podcast if I did. Oh, I'm in. But it's Ken Burns this shit. Agustin de Turbide is one of the names you're going to have to pay attention to. Because he... Moggy. Yeah, he used to be a general on the side of the Spanish monarchy um, in Mexico. He wasn't Spanish, he was Mexican. And Mexico, at this before uh, independence, was known as New Spain. Uh, it was a vice-royalty of the, emperor, of the empire of, of Spain. Mm-hmm. And... Agustin de Turbide actually helped put down a lot of the early rebellions and in some pretty nasty massacres. Um, yeah, no, they there were there were reasons people wanted to rebel because, you know, innocent people kept getting shot. Yikes. By by the Spanish forces. But then Agustin de Turbide switched sides, um, met up with Guerrero. As, as you do. So they come up with the plan of Iguala. Which is a really, really vague plan, as it turns out. Essentially, the plan is, we should all just be one rebellion and overthrow Spain. But then we should get the Spanish emperor to come to Mexico City and rule Mexico from Mexico. So, a couple of questions. (laughs) Go for it, Liam. About this plan. Yeah. It seems like... What they're doing is wrong. It's not really a question. So more of a fact. So this is not like the deepest dive research podcast, but I literally went and found this document, the Treaty of Cordoba, that they made, and I read it in the original Spanish, and I still don't know why they wanted to do this. Oh my god. That So they're basically like, we just, oh, hey, we just overthrew you. Can you come back and, like, teach us how to do stuff? <laughs> Can you feel this orange for me? And so, and the plan of Iguala, I guess, succeeds. They overthrow the Spanish monarchy. The the ruling forces leave. Uh, they sign the Treaty of Cordoba, which I just mentioned. 
um, which involves asking the emperor of Spain to relocate his capital from Madrid to Mexico City and ruling the Spanish Empire from there. It's it, all it takes is just one big boat. Included in this document are saying if he refuses, we go to every member of his family and ask them to do the same thing. <laughs> are you fucking kidding? Me? And then Augustine de Turbine had the foresight to add in a clause here that goes, if they all refuse, we can maybe pick our own leader. That sounds oh my good. God. <laughs> this is like the most hesitant rebellion. They're so afraid they're going to fuck this, this up. This is okay. So, a thing that you'll notice with these kinds of in these revolutions, these wars for independence is that no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> because it's such a new idea not having a monarchy just kind of in control of everything that when they replace them they kind of go like, "Well, shit. <laughs> what else that- what else is there?" You need that middling period where the the monarchy... All right, you just got rid of them, and now they come back just to make sure everything's on the up and up. Yeah, Mexico has a hell of a middling period. Oh, my God. So, once every member of the Bourbon family refuses to be the emperor of Mexico, Agustin de Iturbide becomes the emperor of Mexico. And... You would think that by because he was the one who added that clause into the Treaty of Cordoba that he wanted this, that like... This was his plan all that this, along. Yeah, this was him going like, okay, this will be a, a way for me to become Emperor of Mexico. But by other accounts, he like didn't want to do it. All his friends had to like get together and go, yo, you got to do this. Look, the whole... The whole country of Mexico is behind you. You're one of the heroes of the revolution. You're more. He ex- asked every member of his family, You're... and they all said no. Yeah, and here's an important point: you're not a peasant like Vicente Guerrero, so other so more established ah, powers might accept you more. Ah. So because they kind of convince him that the people of Mexico are behind him, he does allow himself to be to be crowned emperor of Mexico. He is Augustine the first. So. Is it just a thing when you become a ruler, you're just like, listen, they're going to name so many babies after me. I gotta make, we gotta make sure that everyone knows that it started I was there here. first. <laughs> I'm the I mean, look at, look at the Normans. Like when, when William the Conqueror uh, went to the throne, he was like, now I am William the first. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> now I've got a number. That's letters and numbers. I'm like algebra. <laughs> There's, nobody can dispute algebra. I am absolute truth. <laughs> so Augustine's emperorship does not last very long. Oh boy. Yeah, because when they uh, installed him as emperor previous to that, they also made a constitution and established the Mexican Congress. And the problem with this was the Mexican Congress hated Augustine. <laughs> but why? Um, not really sure, to be honest. <laughs> that fucking guy with a number in his name. So, something that'll come up later as well, um, there are essentially two political parties in Mexico, and they boiled down to just the conservative party and the liberal party. That's literally, like, what they're called on Wikipedia. Well, I know how that works out, and it's wonderful for everyone. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like, people switched sides from one to the other. They weren't really, like, established factions so more as just kind of vague generalizations. 
And at some points, you know, liberals would dislike this guy because he was a conservative, but then he'd switch to their side and he'd be great. Love him. I love that guy. And this was kind of the case for Augustine. Also, admittedly, he was a bad emperor. Once Congress started speaking out against him, he dissolved Congress. He made that not a thing anymore and then jailed a bunch of them. He also reportedly stacked his administration with people he liked, people who weren't necessarily good at their job. Gosh. He also, this is a, this is kind of a side note. He uh, didn't have like a real palace because like they didn't have these things just set up for, you know, may, a maybe emperor down the line. So a guy named Juan Moncada just kind of loaned him a mansion. <laughs> and to this day, it's known as the Palace of Iturbide, not the palace that Iturbide borrowed. Oh, this this old place? I'm leasing it. Yeah, I like you guys. I like the rebellion. You just take my house. I'm just leasing the old mansion. It's real nice. Hun, we're going to have to move into my mother's. <laughs> Literally less than a year after Augustine becomes emperor, a rebellion rises up against him. Oh, boy. <laughs> I have a feeling that this will be a common trait in the story. And it's led by a man who is pretty much going to define the next... 40 years, no, maybe 30 years of Mexico's history. General mm-hmm. Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. Mm-hmm. He, okay. he will, we're just going to refer to him as Santa Ana from here on out. Uh, you may remember him, viewers at home, from <laughs> the movie uh, The Mask of Zorro, where he's mentioned like a thousand times but never actually appears. Ah, like Godot. Sure. <laughs> Except he, in that movie, he was actually supposed to appear, and they just cut him out. Oh, yeah. so, okay. He was supposed to come in at the end and, like, smile at Zorro for having saved the Californian people. But then they were like, actually, this guy wasn't that great. Because Santa Ana was known as a hero of the revolution and uh, a defender of Mexico. He also described himself as the Napoleon of the West. But in reality, he was more of a coward, bully, and political opportunist. Oh, he would have done great in D.C. Yeah, love those. Love them. Yeah, just get more of those guys in here. Uh, I want to buy a six-pack. He and a couple other generals rise up against Augustine. They start winning victories. Augustine sends out forces against them, and his the forces that he sends out have a nasty habit of joining Santa on his side <laughs> as soon as oh, they get there. Don't you hate it when you're playing chess and your pieces start <laughs> killing your king? Yeah. And I read on Wikipedia that Augustine later regretted not just leading the armies himself. (laughs) Because if there's anything that defines this century, it's people being loyal to you until they're not. Until they're just not anymore. But they're super loyal until they're not. We're fiercely loyal until a better opportunity comes around. Well, (laughs) we're going to get back to Santa Ana because he is not a better opportunity. So Augustine is overthrown, he's exiled, he leaves, they reestablish the Congress, they make it not an empire anymore, they just have it be presidents, now we're going to have presidents, that's what we're going to do, kind of like what they do in America. They write a whole new constitution, they're like, mm. this is it, This we're going to do it right now. And the first president they have is named Guadalupe Victoria. Jorge Washington. Oh, okay. Guadalupe Victoria, and he actually serves his whole four-year term. Oh. Yeah, it's, don't get used to it. <laughs> I was going to say, this seems like he might be a bit of an anomaly. They, from 1824 to 1828, 
Guadalupe Victoria is just president of Mexico. Things seem to go pretty much fine. And then the election of 1828 happens. And Vicente Guerrero, you remember him, runs for president. Mm -hmm. And Santa Ana supports him. It seems like it's great. He wins. He's president now for a whole two years until he's ousted by his own vice president. Just, just like a power grab? Yeah. His vice president's name was Anastasio Bustamante. Oh, man. Spanish names are so much better than ours. I mean, but like Anastasio Bustamante, is a, he's a cut above Spanish names even. It's it's just a killer name. You, ha- you know what? You have to grab political power with yeah. that name. There's yeah. no other choice that you have. Anastasio Bustamante would go on to be president of Mexico three separate times. <laughs> he's there Grover Cleveland over the next uh, like 25 years after the first president serves out his full four year term uh, over the next 25 years Mexico has about 25 different presidents In and sorry how many years? about 25 <laughs> and some of them instead of just serving a term and then stopping they serve as president for a month appoint their vice president president and he's president for the month, and then he gives the presidency back to the first guy who's president for a month, and then he appoints his vice president again. It's very confusing. So they're just treating Mexico like a kid of a divorcee. I'd, honestly, I have no idea why they do this. Oh, I mean, sometimes I do, because, you know, Anastasio Bustamante, he was backed by conservative forces, the uh, the aristocracy of Mexico. The conservative forces tend to support uh, the military and the church, and they tend to be formed of the richer elements of the society, specifically ones who were, lo- who were pretty loyal to Spain mm-hmm. back in the day. Anastasio Bustamante is president for a couple years, then he gets ousted, and back to our friend General Santa Ana, who becomes president. <laughs> General Santa Ana is the first to popularize the uh, ruling strategy of not ruling by, <laughs> uh, instead of being president, letting his vice president be president, and then just kind of see how things go. <laughs> Pretty much ever So I told you he was a political opportunist, and that's because he identified as a liberal. He was on the side of liberty, all that stuff. He was, he was a revolutionary. But he was... He knew that there was some danger involved in actually enacting liberal reforms. And so he let his liberal vice president actually be president and make those reforms while he just kind of watched. And so when people reacted negatively and his vice president was ousted from power, he didn't feel any repercussions. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of a genius. It's it's like the, the Van Wilder method of ruling. Yeah, so while Santa Ana is going back and forth between being president and being something else, I I mentioned that Anastasio Bustamante would be president three times, and that's because he, you know, he took control, then he'd get ousted, and then he would take control again, he'd get ousted. Santa Ana was head of the Mexican state in one form or another 11 separate times. My fucking God. Because he would just be president for a month, and then name someone interim president while he went off and fought a battle. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense. General Santa... This was... This is the era of romanticism, and General Santa Ana definitely thought of himself as the romantic revolutionary hero, hence Napoleon was also thought of as, like, the ultimate romantic hero, and you'll remember Santa Ana thought of himself as the Napoleon of the West. And so he would do things like delegate his responsibility to Valentin Gomez Farias, who is his vice president, 
and then he would go off and try to subjugate the people of Texas into rejoining Mexico. I wonder what that would look like today. <laughs> hey, this is a terrible joke, but hey, Liam, do you remember the Alamo? <laughs> I really don't. Uh, that's because it happened in uh, 1835. That's before I was born. <laughs> during the Texas Rebellion, uh, which is where uh, a bunch of different states in Mexico rebelled against the central authority, which was Santa Ana. And most mm -hmm. of them were quelled pretty quickly. They just came right back to the fold. Texas didn't do that. No. And so Santa Ana said, ah, they're chicken shits, whatever. I'll just do a couple massacres and that'll convince them to join me. So that's what he did. Yep. Santa Ana killed a bunch of people at the Alamo and the Goliad uh, and a couple other places. And he was like, I'm doing great. I'm killing a bunch of people. Surely the people of Texas will come to my side any minute. And then... Because if there's one group of people who are all who always stand to reason, yeah. it's Texans. <laughs> yeah, that's... If anything, studying history will teach you that. And then General Sam Houston uh, took a bunch of cannons and cavalry and fought Santa Ana at the Battle of San Jacinto and beat Santa Ana's ass despite having a smaller force. Santa Ana was captured because... <laughs> Santa Ana was not captured in the battle. He was captured the next day wearing a private's uniform and hiding in a swamp. Uh, nope, nope. You got the wrong guy. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just a private. I'm, I'm just a private. I'm just a private living in a swamp. Santa Ana, I, I hear that guy's great. I fear he's the Napoleon of the West. <laughs> yeah. That's what I've heard. Not me, though. I'm just a lowly private. What's my name? Santa Anno. I was named after him. Yeah. This is where you'd expect Santa Ana to get executed because that's been like the fate of a bunch of the previous presidents and emperors, uh, including Vicente Guerrero. I forgot to mention that. When, uh, when his own vice president ousted him, the new government also executed him. Well, it also tends to be the fate of any war prisoner that gets captured before like world war one instead of doing that they go like no actually this guy can be useful and they take him to meet they take him to washington dc where he can make a declaration and sign contracts saying mexico will never attempt to reconquer texas huh. and th that's what happens I mean sort of there santa ana's a dick so like he does send out an occasional squad into texas just to kind of commit casualties well it's spring again let's see what can i do what can i do i already cleaned the mansion i gotta go after texas again i always that's <laughs> in the calendar so while while this is happening and he's in captivity for like a year over there uh bustamante becomes president again just in time <laughs> for a oh conflict with france called the Pastry War. <laughs> Do they get their just desserts, Eric? Well, France does. So France isn't really... France is full of jerks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. At this time in history. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what <laughs> yeah, yeah, I meant. Yeah, yeah. I, knew, I knew you knew. Sorry. They... <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get over the fucking pastry wars. Well... <laughs> There's a very good reason. It's Throw another croissant at him. It's, it's not called the pastry war just because the French are fighting it. It's called the pastry war because a pastry chef started it. 
No. <laughs> Chopped contestant did this. <laughs> uh, Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood are gonna be so upset when they learn about this. I would like to read a paragraph directly from the Wikipedia page. I would like to hear before. this paragraph, please. <sighs> it says, in complaint to King Louis Philippe, a French pastry chef known only as Monsieur Remontel. <laughs> Claimed that in 1832, Mexican officers looted his shop, his shop in Tacubaya, which is a town on the outskirts of Mexico City. Remontel demanded 60,000 pesos as reparations for this damage. I'm all out of butter and wine. His shop was valued at less than 1,000 pesos. It's really good wine. My accent work is just fucking on the money. To give this some context, the the average daily wage in Mexico at the time was one peso. <laughs> France thought this was clearly a good reason to go to war. We've got all these tanks lying around. And what no, they do they is don't. they just blockade a power, an important Mexican port and just go like, y'all ain't trading until you give us money. Your accent works a lot better than mine. <laughs> and that's pretty much what happens. Oh my god. What Mexico, is happening in history? Mexico has been fighting itself for decades now, and it doesn't have the kind of military power that can compete with With fucking, a pastry chef! With France, which has backed one pastry chef into blackballing an entire nation. To be real, though, like, how good were those pastries, though? <laughs> like, this dude must have been the fucking Julia Childs of the 19th oh century. Oh, my God. So. I can see how this story fucking got away from you. Right. <laughs> you were like, we were talking about Mexico and now dessert. I know. <laughs> Thankfully, not too many people die in this war. Oh, but, but the Sorbet ends... Wars were a bloodbath. It ends. With Mexico paying France 60,000 pesos. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> One uppity chef changed the entire history of a different nation. <gasps> I am going insane. I know. <laughs> I'm still like I looked this up there are other sources it's not just Wikipedia being like Wikipedia and it's not a fake article like it's this, not fake news this is like this isn't just somebody who like changed every word in a Wikipedia article to fuck this is a real thing wars have been started for independence for the rights of the people <laughs> and cause a pastry chef got fucked over in his croissant dough <laughs> there's literally no, there was no evidence that he got fucked over <laughs> like how could there be he had a shop in Mexico he says oh my god so after the pastry war uh, Bustamante is ousted again 
and uh, a man named uh, Francisco Echeverria takes over, and he gets to be president for a whole month. Oh, lucky dog. And then Santa Ana takes over and becomes the dictator of Mexico. Oh, my, that's different than a president. Yeah, it is. Oh, I and I have a quote explaining this. While he was in uh, Washington, D.C., a former ambassador to Mexico uh, criticized how he wasn't an advocate of liberty anymore. And Santa Ana replied, Say that it is very true that I threw up my cap for liberty with great ardor and perfect sincerity, but very soon found the folly of it. A hundred years to come, my people will be not fit for liberty. They do not know what it is, unenlightened as they are, and under the influence of a Catholic clergy, a despotism is the proper government for them, but there is no reason why it should not be a wise and virtuous one. General Santa Ana, folks. Oh no. Oh yeah. Oh dear. To quote to quote Piglet, oh dear. Yeah, so Santa Ana becomes the dictator again, and then people rebel against him again, and then he steps down again. How how did I not see this coming? Yeah, meanwhile, the United States uh is they want Texas to be part of the United States. They get they do that. Texas becomes part of the Union. Then, and everyone gets along and no one fights. In 1845, James Polk, the president of the United States at the time, makes an offer to buy part of the land be- essentially between Texas and the Rio Grande. Mm-hmm. So um, they wanted the border between the United States and Mexico to be at the Rio Grande. Gotcha. And so you should know how this turns out already. What? Let's see. It's still called the Rio Grande and not and it's the Big still, River. It's still the border between And it's Texas still the border. <laughs> so I'm going to say Desert Wars Round 2. Yeah, so pretty much what happens is once Mexico refuses Polk's offer to buy that land, Polk just sends in tr- troops to invade that land. Okay. And they win because they're the United States and we know how this ends. Yeah. They just kind of take over. Santa Ana fights it to the end. And only when he doesn't get support from key politicians in Mexico to regroup and re- and try to reconquer Texas, which he said he would never do, does he give up. Uh, you, you have no proof that I would never do that. You, we, you, we brought Your you here. Your signature on this you, the, document. On a fucking piece of paper. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, this is not a thing. Have you heard of the pastry wars? <laughs> <laughs> We're not even done with France. I'll get back to them in no, a second. No, why? So things kind of continue in Mexico the way they have been. The presidency slash dictatorship slash whatever changing hands every hot second until Santa Ana becomes dictator again. <laughs> Third time's a charm, in I guess. 1853. Listen, Eric. Do what you love, and the people will submit. <laughs> Here's the thing. So, Santa Ana was kind of... He was a weirdo. and he Really? Was, as you can probably tell, he wasn't really interested in staying president slash dictator. This was not a title that he would just never give up. He gave it up frequently. He just liked the act of, like, rebelling and taking power again. He liked being the romantic hero. He liked being the defender of Mexico from whatever oppressor he imagined it had. I've got a few facts about 
him aside from that. So one time, his leg got blown off in battle Wait. by a cannon. Well, okay. He, it shattered his ankle and it had to be amputated. Oh. And when that happened, he gave his leg a state funeral with full military honors. No! His That's leg. incredible. Yeah, these are, How, this is the heights that his ego reaches. I just want to be... Please tell me that's a celebrated holiday also, in Mexico every year. I mean, I've heard of leg day at the gym, but this is ridiculous. This happened in 1838, and later when he became president again in 1842, he exhumed his leg, paraded it around Mexico City in an ornate couch, and buried it beneath a cemetery monument in an elaborate state funeral. So, oh, sorry, this is the actual state funeral. I guess it was just buried at his hacienda until then. Listen, I, I know <sighs> we don't have the funds right now, but when we get a chance, we're going to really celebrate my leg. We're going to go big. Yeah. Sorry, I misinterpreted that to make, to sound like he gave it another state funeral, but he actually exhumed it just so he could give it a state funeral. I mean, when you're, when you're the dictator, like... <laughs> You're so, I feel like there's, you know, there's no such thing as a sane dictator in history just because that's basically a paradox, yeah. but it, it's just so crazy to me that, like, you can get that level of nuts where yeah. you're like, well, I have to give my leg a, a state And this just happens, funeral. like, yeah, dictators do crazy stuff, I guess. Like, so much of this feels like people were doing things just because it was the thing being done. Every time there's, like, a new regime change, there's, like, a new plan, a new proclamation, a new treaty or whatever. And this time, for sure, this constitution's gonna be the one. Like, we've got it figured out. They, they only seem to be overthrowing their oppressors because that's what you do, right? It's, it's just part of the dance. They only become the oppressors because that's what you do, right? When you, be, when you get to a position of power, you oppress. That's how it works. Isn't that not correct? It's all part of the magical dance of power. I guess. It's what we, it's a simple lesson, but it bears repeating. Now, excuse me, I have to attend a funeral for a leg. <laughs> a couple other interesting notes about Santa Ana's relationship with the United States. One time, uh, his, his prosthetic leg was captured and used as a baseball bat. Uh, by United States troops. He also is partially responsible. <laughs> he is also partially responsible for introducing chewing gum to the, to the United States. This man <laughs> has the has a real legacy. Oh no, what have I done? <laughs> it was uh, a chewy, rubber-like substance harvested from Mexican sapodilla trees called yep. chicle. Yep. And you may know that there's a famous gum brand that's been called, called Chicklets. Yep. Big League Chicklets. Oh chiclets. my god. He was Big Leg Chicklets. He originally thought it could be a rubber substitute and that he could use it as a business venture to finance an attempt to regain power. However, that didn't happen. Ah. Oh. And then two men named Hubba and Bubba. Oh, oh my god. Took off a storm. Yeah. So that's, that's General Santa Ana, and this time, hey, if you remember, he's dictator in 1853. This time, when he declares himself dictator, he declares himself dictator for life. Ah, 
that's you know what history would prove that maybe that that's a little too big of a commitment for him to make at this point <laughs> i mean you would think you would that's think like, this is the fifth time you've gotten back together with your boyfriend and yeah. now you guys are gonna move in together this is the one this is it this time it's gonna stick karen he also came up with a bunch of different titles for himself well, one, of course. The first of which was the most serene highness. I thought you were going to say the most surreal. But his full title. Oh, boy. Was Hero of the Nation, General of Division, Grand Master of the National and Distinguished Order of Guadalupe, Grand Cross of the Royal and Distinguished Spanish Order of Carlos III, and President of the Mexican Republic. And his leg is there, too. <laughs> That's a that is hard to print on a on a on money. Yeah. So he gets ousted by a man named Benito Juarez, who is just about the only beacon of sanity in this whole story. Benito Juarez was a liberal, he was of Zapotec descent, which means he was indigenous. Uh, so he wasn't just like a European who was happened to have been born in Mexico, essentially. Mm-hmm. Were all the other leaders Sort of just Europeans that happened to be... Uh, Vicente Guerrero was was not. Oh, yeah. um, he was not white. He was uh, he was mixed race. And part of and one theory about why he was executed was that the conservative elements of Mexico wanted to discourage future mixed race presidencies. Cool. Racism is uh, still a thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, Benito Juarez, he was the governor of Oaxaca, and he was one of the politicians who refused assistance to Santa Ana when he wanted to continue the the Mexican-American War. And Benito Juarez was a liberal, and when he ousted Santa Ana again, because of course Santa Ana was ousted again, what podcast have you been listening to until now? (laughs) Pay attention, you fools. Benito Juarez started enacting La Reforma, which essentially cut down, which separated church and state, cut down on the power of the Catholic Church, which cut down the power of conservatives, and also cut down the power of the military, um, and did a lot of just good stuff in general. However, he did anger the conservative party, and that generated the War of the Reform, which was essentially conservatives versus liberals. And then kind of in the middle of that, where it was, it was a back and forth, well, France decides to get involved again. Uh, sacre bleu. Wow. This is that might have I... been the worst one yet. <laughs> this is why I asked you at the beginning of the podcast, uh, if you if you saw a bunch of dudes fighting, would you just join in? Hell no. Well, France decides that that's a great idea. France because got nothing to lose. Because they start the war of the French intervention, and wow, it is more serious than the pastry war. <laughs> the, okay, Hold on a second. Their name for this war has an actual paradox in it because it's the war of the French intervention. Yeah. We're going to intervene your war with another war. Essentially. This is some exhibit shit. Yeah. France, when it, uh, when it starts this war, is backed by the conservative party of Mexico. Like, they... The Conservative Party just supports the French invasion. Mm -hmm. Uh, France comes in and just kind of wrecks shit, forces Benito Juarez out of power, out of Mexico City. And then France doesn't just leave this time with a bunch of money. France installs its own emperor. (laughs) 
The second emperor of Mexico is called Maximilian the First. He is the wow. he is the brother of the emperor of France at the time, Napoleon the Third. Napoleon the Third was the original Napoleon's uh, nephew. Napoleon the Third became emperor because he was the president. But when Congress told him, no, your turn's up, you have to stop being president now, he had a coup and made himself emperor. As you do. As you coup. Right? And that started the Second French Empire, and he wanted Mexico to essentially just be a puppet for the French Empire, and that's why he sent his brother over there to be the emperor of Mexico. Guess what? It doesn't go great for the emperor of Mexico. I was about to say, and how did that work? How did the the people of Mexico feel about this? The war, the, the war of the French intervention starts again because France says that Mexico owes it money. We opened up a, we opened up a small cafe on the border of Guadalupe. <laughs> it's worth four million pesos. But it's a really, bon me shop. We haven't even invaded Vietnam yet. But this time the interest is not actually money. It's about taking power. Um, And they are initially backed by the United Kingdom and Spain, who also say that Mexico owes them money. But uh, Spain and the United Kingdom just kind of back out pretty quickly. They're not they're not really in the war. It's that's why it's not called the war of the British, Spanish and French intervention. The war of the clusterfuck. Yeah, the war of the long name. The war of the long name. I mean, that could be any war that our friend the dictator started so, at the end there. The thing about Emperor Maximilian is that he wasn't that bad. Oh. He upholds a lot of the liberal reforms that Benito Juarez put in place. Like, he's not that conservative about it, but that also means that he doesn't get a ton of conservative support. Okay. Meanwhile, Benito Juarez is still alive and keeps stirring up a guerrilla war against the current regime. Of course. And the uh, War of the French Intervention goes from 1861 to 1864. That's when Maximilian takes power. And what happens in 1865? Do you... Yeah. Franz Ferdinand is driving through (laughs) Serbia. No, wait, sorry. The Civil War, yeah. The end of the Civil War. End of the Civil War. In America. And once that ends, the U.S. goes like, Actually, we kind of want Benito Juarez in power because we don't like France just coming over into our sphere of influence and fucking shit up. Uh, the ter- sorry, after all the history classes I've taken, the, the term sphere of influence like gives me, it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. <laughs> sorry, I won't use it again. No, no, it's just I took a history of Africa class, mm-hmm. which is basically guilt for white people. Oh. And uh, which is, of course, making problems about myself. Uh, but yeah, the term spheres of influence was a big throw around term back in the day. OK, well, the United States considered the Americas essentially its sphere of influence and Europe was yeah. not to mess with. Yeah, no, makes sense. Makes sense. The uh, So they started supplying the rebels under Benito Juarez with weapons. They would just kind of lose arm depots so they could so no one could say that the U.S. was actually trying to help them. Oh, dude, this reminds me a lot of the Iran-Contra uh, <laughs> situation. You should look into that one. I Man, I've got such a long list. There is an ah. unending fount of material for this podcast your, your cup runneth over who let me tell you <laughs> that you should have named the podcast the let me tell you show let me i'm allowed i'm okay with let me tell you being like the catchphrase, the catchphrase? Of, yeah of put the that podcast. shit on a t-shirt 
yeah. with your beautiful mug on it. <laughs> Just like sighs, <laughs> let me tell you. Sigh. <laughs> Deep sigh, let me tell you. That's and a on great the pa- t-shirt. That's, that's a great, I would own eight of them in different colors. <laughs> I'll, start, I'll do a teespring. So once they get American support, everyone else in the world except for Maximilian realizes that he's dead in the water. France starts pulling back its support. Other European powers will not touch it because they know it's going to fall apart. The Republicans under Benito Juarez... <laughs> like a horrible game of Jenga. Yeah. they st- Benito Juarez starts gaining, like, he gets victory after victory. And eventually, he takes control of Mexico City. And Maximilian, like, considers fleeing, just going back to Europe. And boy, should he have... Instead, he uh, talks to his generals and, like, staff. Like, he asks them whether they think he should leave. And they're all like, no, long live the emperor. We will prevail. And then they don't prevail and they all get murdered. Amazing. Maximilian dies by uh, firing squad alongside two of his, his, his top generals. He's got some last words that are actually really nice. Oh. He says... I forgive everyone and I ask everyone to forgive me. May my blood, which is about to be shed, be for the good of the country. Viva Mexico, viva la independencia. Yeah. And his, and his generals both just shout, long live the emperor. Aw. Friendship. His wife does escape to Europe and she, like, spends the, the rest of her life in a cloister. Benito Juarez, however, takes control of Mexico and actually has a stable presidency for like a decade until Porfirio Porfirio Diaz has a coup and starts dictatorship. That's the end of the story. Oh my God. France. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking what? So the reason it's called the emperors of Mexico uh, is because there was 30,000 of these fucks. They is because they bookend the story. Yeah, it yeah. starts with Agustin and ends with Maximilian. Ends with Maximilian. And in between, there's just a thousand presidents and dictators. Whew. So Holy normally, bleep. normally in an I, in what I'm planning for a normal episode of Big Time Whoopsies is this is where I would do uh, a story of I just did a story of grand incompetence. I would want to do a story of of competence on an absurd level. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to do that because this has already gone on really long and yes. I'm exhausted. I'm also very tired from yelling about France. That's pretty. That's that's a very very grand overview of the history of Mexico, from about 1810 to about 1870. Man, sixty years of fucking nuts! Like, <sighs> I my god. See, when I when I thought of this story for this podcast, I thought it was going to be oh, two emperors that failed, that both got that were both killed. That'll, that'll be fun. It'll teach you not to be emperor of Mexico. It turns out there's a lot more to it. It's a little bit more, a little more nuanced than that. Oh, by the way, for those wondering, I didn't really give Santa Ana an epilogue. Oh, yeah. Santa Ana, after being ousted for the final time in 1855, goes off and lives out the rest of his life with his wife, who is much younger than him. Good. And was also rich. Well, I mean. Yeah. Uh, Santa Ana married two different wealthy teenage women in his life. What a schmuck. Yeah, yeah. He married both of them when they were like 15 or 16. Wow. Right? That's skeevy as hell. Yeah, that is so... mm. It also... This is what he thought of himself. He was forever a young man. He was forever a romantic hero. 
He was forever like the guy the who would, who would get like the pretty young girl. Of course. Ugh. My God. I don't have a sign out sign out planned for well, this podcast. Should, I, should we do cat, cat plug stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. Hey Liam, you were a great guest. Thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I want to come back all the time. This is great. <laughs> I got. I can't wait to listen to episodes I'm not on. I got a lot of these. Yeah, no, I'm very excited. Um, hey, if you like podcasts about stories, you should check out the podcast I do with my good boyfriend. Well, hold on, my good <laughs> no, friend no, who's lean also into a it. good lean boy. Into it. Fine, my <laughs> husband Tom Lockney and I go. do a podcast called Media Majors. Where How many husbands do you have? too many because i would I'm definitely a... be counted as one of them you're probably like the og uh, like you're, you're the grand husband <laughs> this is true uh, these are these this is happy polyamory yeah this is just platonic <laughs> polyamory we're describing friendship in the worst way possible um it's i do a podcast hot, with my friend. sexy platonic friendship platonic friendship <laughs> Uh, I do a podcast that Eric's been on a couple of times called Media Majors, where uh, Tom and I research stories about movies, TV, that's what I do, and internet internet, and video game culture, that's what he does. Eric's our resident sports expert, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I also do the Shmanime podcast with Eric, a podcast that refuses to update, no matter how <laughs> hard I try editing the episode. You can't make it. Stop trying. I just, I'm just giving up. No, um, I, I, I ho- hopefully this will be out soon. Because I can't wait to listen to it. Yeah. This story ended up being so much bigger than I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was just going to be the story of two failed regimes in Mexico. But it's, I just, like, you can't understand anything without understanding the stuff that happens before it. So. Let's brainstorm you a sign off. <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> Done in one. That'll work this time. Hi, I'm Liam Sr. I'm Josh Phillips. And every other Thursday on the Major Cast Network, we release Musty TV. You see, we like television. Some say too much. Most doctors say too much. So we watch the first episode and last episode of a canceled show. And we decide to tell you, is it worth watching? It's not. It never is. Enable our descent into madness every other Thursday on iTunes and where else podcasts may be. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.